0: You know, we're going through uh, the book of Genesis, at least more or less going through the book of Genesis. Last week, we we looked at an amazing story, amazing event, when God asked Abraham to offer up his only son, Isaac, as a burnt offering unto the Lord, and I've continued to think about Laying down those kinds of things in our lives, you know, that God would like us to lay down. You know, Casey, a few weeks ago, challenged us. You know, what are the things that we need to lay aside to have the kind of relationship with God that he desires for us? You know, that's one of the things we often forget, that he desires to have an intimate relationship with you and me. He offered up his son, Jesus, as a sacrifice so they could have that relationship with you and me. That's how badly... He desires to know and be in relationship with every one of us. You know, as we're going through the book of Genesis, as I said at the very beginning, it's not necessarily a verse-by-verse exegesis. It's not like we're going to go through every verse, but some of the main things that I really wanted us to get were the idea of God's creation. And specifically, in God's creation, all that He created, as amazing as it is, to realize who you and I are in his creation. How he esteems us, how he loves us, how he looks at us as the crown jewel of all of his creation. I I thought about that this morning, walking back and forth between the church and my office and looking at that bright red sunrise. How beautiful that was. How amazing that was that God creates things like that and yet he looks at you and I and says, oh, you're way more beautiful than that. So creation. We're also looking at God's chosen family in the book of Genesis as we go through uh, all the way from Adam and Eve where we're going to be today talking a little bit about Jacob and Esau. Knowing that God chose out of His sovereignty, out of His grace, out of His wisdom, out of His plan who His chosen family was going to be, who in each generation was going to be carrying on the blessing. And to realize that you and I are a chosen people. You and I are a chosen generation. God chose us. He gave us the grace to accept the gift that he offered to us. To be part of his church, part of his, part of his bride for his son. These are the kinds of things. It's, it's not just the history, which the history, I think, is important. And we can learn a lot from the history in the book of Genesis. But we begin to see more and more and more the heart of God. Those things, like His divine wisdom, things we don't understand and don't make sense. And then a little while later, we discover, wow, it makes perfect sense. The sovereignty of God and it's His grace along with His sovereignty. Those are the things that I really want us to grab a hold of as we go through all these different stories. We finished up last week with Abraham and Isaac and the reality that God provides. A reality that every single one of us need to grab a hold of. God provides. We all go through trials and tests. We go through circumstances and challenges. And the reality is God will provide. It's a a reminder to me in my own life when I start thinking that I can do things, fix things, cause things to happen and realize, you know what? I just can't do much. And it keeps us humble before him knowing how much we need him, dependent upon God. Today, we're going to look at another event. And I say the, use the word event intentionally instead of a story because sometimes when we hear the word story, we think it's a story like a fairy tale. I hope when you hear me say event, you realize these things really took place. These things really happened. These are real people, real events taking place. And we're going to look at one today where the bottom line is there's a man who despised his birthright. And we'll talk more, and more about a birthright, but remember this. You and I have been adopted into the family of God. We are called his children. We are declared to be joint heirs with Jesus Christ, that we are seated with him in heavenly places. We have an amazing birthright as born-again believers. And we're going to look at it historically in the culture of the day at a man who, the Scripture says, defied despised, some transients say he profaned his birthright. But I want to give you just a brief, it's like I said last week, it's kind of like we're going to just fast forward a little bit in the book of Genesis. Because I'm not going to spend time on every single person, every single event. After Isaac was asked by God, Abraham was asked by God to offer up Isaac, He experienced another difficult challenge in his life, and that was the death of his wife, Sarah. She dies at the age of 127 years old. And the interesting, one of the interesting things here is that we see is they share this event with us that remembering Abraham had been promised what we would call the promised land. Basically, it's like God said, everything you see in every direction here, That's gonna be yours. But when his wife dies, not a single acre belongs to him. Not a single hilltop belongs to him. So he actually has to literally buy a field so he could have a place to have a tomb to bury his wife. It's the first land that he possesses. And it's almost as if it's kind of a, a down payment, if you would, to the fulfillment of the promise of God. Then some time passes, and Abraham sends his oldest and probably most trusted servant. Now, if you're reading along in the story, you might remember also we mentioned uh, Eleazar. Abraham thought maybe he would be his descendant before he had a son. God said, no, that's not the case. Most people think that Eleazar was the one that was sent. And where he was sent was to get a bride for Isaac. They were living in a pagan area. The culture around them was very sinful and evil. And he did not want Isaac to select a wife or get a wife amongst the people in the area. So it tells us he sent them back to his home country or his home area, back to Mesopotamia, back in the area of Ur, if you can remember where he was called from. And he, he it's, there's some really strange things in there. He, he has his servant put his hand under his thigh and does all this and swears that he's not going to come back unless he gets a bride. And one of the things you won't track unless you actually do a study on the ages of the people, um, you know, these things are taking place. They aren't young people necessarily the way we think of young. We're going to discover in a little while that uh, by the time Isaac gets a bride, he's 40 years old. By the time he has a child, he's 60 years old. And some of these things with the ages uh, give you a little more insight into the story But a lot of these people are a lot older than we think because we think today and the word doesn't necessarily tell us how much time has passed in all these scenarios. So he goes and he goes back to that area and God supernaturally, read the story, God supernaturally brings a young virgin to the servant's presence and through a bunch of amazing circumstances. This young lady named Rebecca agrees to go back and become Isaac's wife. And Isaac at the age of 40 takes Rebecca as his wife. And as God would have it, Rebecca turns out to be the granddaughter of Nahor, which was a brother of Abraham. So they found a descendant. God found a descendant from the chosen people. Or his wife they're married, and it takes 20 years before they have a child, before they conceive and have a child. Our story is going to start our event's going to start today in Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 19 and I'm going to kind of break this story goes from 19 to 34 into segments. Read the first one. Now these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Isaac prayed to the Lord on the behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, And Rebecca, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people will be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger." It's interesting how much barrenness there is in this chosen line that God uses and selected in his own sovereignty to eventually lead to the Messiah. In this case, we have Isaac and Rebekah, just as was the case with Sarah and Abraham, they can't conceive, only they respond much differently than Abraham and Sarah did. Remember Abraham and Sarah's story? There it he says, hey, I've got this handmaid from Egypt named Hagar. I'm going to send her to your bed. She'll conceive. We'll raise it as our own child. Bad idea, but God still blessed things in it. But there were consequences. Here we see different, a different scenario take place. 20 years, nearly 20 years they've been waiting to have a child. But they don't take it into their own hands. They waited on the Lord, and they went, and it says... That Isaac sought the Lord. Prayed to the Lord. The Lord heard his prayers. And she conceived. What's not in the story is one of those thoughts that jump into my head when I'm reading these things is, I gotta believe he prayed many times before this. But this time, for whatever reason, God answered. His timing. His plan. And then we read the word struggle. These children are struggling in the womb. Now, <clears throat> that word struggle is a very powerful word. It's, it means like, it's translated crush or to crush. It's like there is a literal battle going on in her womb between these two children. And as she cries out to, the God, to God and says, Lord, if I'm pregnant, you've answered these prayers of mine. What's going on? Why is it going like like that? It's kind of like, why is this pregnancy so doggone difficult? Why is it so painful? And the Lord answers her. And he answers her really with a prophecy. He prophesies to her in answering this question. He says, there's two children representing two nations, two peoples. There's a lot going on that you have no idea about, really. The struggle begins in the womb, and as we go into the history of Israel, God's chosen people, you'll discover that this struggle between these two children goes on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years between their descendants. I mean, you may remember after they, Israel had gotten out of Egypt after 400 years of slavery, they wanted to go through, a certain use a certain road. It happened to be called the King's Highway at the time. And a group of people that were in control there said, no way. You try to come through here, we're going to meet you with the sword. Those were the descendants of one of these two children. Hundreds of years. Two nations are in your womb, two people. They'll be separated from your body. One shall be stronger than the other, and the other, shall, older shall serve the, the younger. This went against the culture. You know, Moses is writing all of this, and, and if we go on further in the Old Testament, in, in Deuteronomy, and Chronicles, Second Chronicles, I believe it is, it, 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 it lays out this whole concept of the, the birthright. The oldest son. The oldest son getting all these rights, becoming the head of the family. And here in this prophecy, God tells Rebecca before they're even born, I've already made a choice. There's two peoples in you, representing two nations. One of them is going to be stronger than the other, and the older is going to submit to the younger. Why did God do that? Why did He make That case. This is taking place before they're even born. This is taking place before either one has done anything good or either one has done anything bad. But God makes a choice. His sovereign grace is at work in this picture, in this story. In Romans chapter nine, Paul makes reference to this story, this event. In Romans chapter nine, starting at verse 10. I just want to read this as we get a little more insight into it as Paul uses this as an example to teach the Romans. He says, And not only this, but there was Rebecca. And when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, for though the twins were not yet born, and they had not done anything good nor anything bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Those are strong words. And the word loved and hated there don't necessarily mean what we would consider them to mean today. Today. it it quite probably could have been written with words like this, Jacob, I have accepted. Esau, I have rejected. It's kind of like when Cain and Abel came with their sacrifices to the Lord, and God received Abel's, but he rejected Cain's. Again, it doesn't make sense to us because we get no good reasons other than the grace of God. grace of God. It says two nations and two peoples. I've already alluded to this. The two nations, eventually the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. And this other nation are called the Edomites, Edom. We're going to find out in a few moments that the two boys, the twins, were, were Jacob and Esau. But Jacob And Esau, Esau does something, says something, and it says they called him Edom. So in her womb, these two nations, the nation of Israel and the Edomites, for years and years and years they were enemies. As a matter of fact, most historians, many historians, let's put it that way, believed that the Edomites were eventually eliminated. They no longer existed. But the last Edomite family were the descendants of King Herod, at the time of Jesus. And even then, he's the one who sent the soldiers to kill all the children in Bethlehem. The hostility between these two nations went on for centuries. Born in the same womb womb. The Edomites were continually antagonistic towards the will of God. The older shall serve the younger. And one of the things that we can learn from this and other examples in the Scripture is that God's will is oftentimes accomplished in the midst of conflict. Conflict. It's easy when there's conflict and craziness going on around us, chaos, all these things. You know, you can even take this to today if you would like. And we look at this, and what in the world is taking place? Throughout the Old Testament, we see over and over conflict Cain and Abel, Ishmael and Isaac, we've talked about. Today, we're looking at Esau and Jacob. Next generations, we see Joseph and all of his brothers. Conflict, 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 and God's will is carried out just as he intended it by his sovereign grace. Two nations, two peoples. And the difference between the two brothers is made clear as we look at verse 24. When her days to be delivered, Rebecca were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first one came forth red, all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Hairiness is the word, Esau. Later it gets changed to Edom because of the red. Esau, afterward his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel so his name was Jacob, literally meaning the heel holder or a supplanter. We're probably familiar with that Bible story. Grabbing onto that heel like, I'm going to be born first. I'm the one who's going to inherit. And it goes on. It says, afterwards, let's see, find my spot here. Isaac was 60 years old. When Rebecca gave birth, a little bit of a timeline. And when the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man, living in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had the taste for game. But Rebecca loved Jacob. They were different. They were different in appearance. They were different in their skills and the things that they liked to do. And most importantly, they were different in their character. Now, we don't get this from the story. But they're not just, it says, when they grew up and they were no longer boys. If you go through and try to put all the ages down and come up with a chronological thing, they were probably in their late 60s or 70 years old when this is all going to take place. We kind of like to think it happened like this. It didn't happen that way. So there had been many years as he had become this hunter, this strong man always looking for adventure, and we see as the story unfolds, his character is not what it should be. Spiritual interests aren't there. But he's very capable, an impressive man, if you would. And it tells us that Jacob... It uses a different word. It says he's a peaceful man living in tents. Some translations say a plain man, which is kind of not giving him enough credit. But it means he's a very content man. He's he's doing things, living in a tent, dwelling in a tent, doing the things that people, those really nomadic people would have done, raising their flocks, etc. And then we're also giving a clue that leads us to understand better what takes place in the future And a lesson for all of us as parents. We hear and discover there's some parental favoritism going on here. Now, when you look at what it tells us, it almost seems ridiculous. Uh, you're gonna be, you're my favorite son because I like to eat meat. And you provide meat. Wow, you're special. But it tells us. And it tells us Rebecca, her favorite was Jacob. And there's a lot of deception and things that take place as their lives unfold. But we can go back to this point and see that the favoritism in the home caused problems. I'm sure they both loved both boys. But there were favorites here. And it caused problems. And then we come to the trade or the transaction, if you would, in verses 29 through 34. So get the picture. They're twins. From in the womb, there was a struggle. We don't get any picture of what it was like for them as really young boys or young children. But we get this picture somewhere later in their lives, age 60, something 70, approximately 70 years old. This event takes place. And first reading, you think, this is ridiculous. Then I think of how many times I've done or said things like this or people have done and said things like this. But I don't ever take it seriously. It was taken very seriously here. Listen to what it says. When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I'm famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. That's where his name became Edom because of the red. Some translations it says, give me a a taste of that red, red, red does it twice. He became Edom. It says, But Jacob said to him, First sell me your birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I'm about to die here. So of what use then is the birthright going to be to me? And Jacob says, No, first swear to me. So he swore to him, Sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and the lentil stool. And he ate, Drank, Rose, Rose, And went on his way. And the last part of that verse says, Thus Esau despised his birthright. Try to picture this scene. He's coming in. We don't know how long he's been out hunting. Maybe he's gone on a two-week hunting expedition. We don't know. Evidently, he wasn't very successful. He didn't have much to eat. He's hungry. He comes in. I'm famished. I'm starving. I don't get something to eat pretty soon. I'm going to die. Now it sounds extreme, but how often do we say things similar to that? Man, I am starving. What's for supper, honey? Really? I don't like that. I'm gonna die. You don't feed me something I like. I mean, this is, it seems ridiculous, doesn't it? But you can see how you would state it. But what really seems crazy is how it turns so deadly serious immediately. In my mind, it's pretty hard to imagine that Jacob and we will see in the future, if you read through the stories, he's kind of crafty. He's kind of sneaky. I mean, when it comes right down to it, both of them could easily be disqualified from carrying on the lineage. So what's he say? Sell me your birthright. It's like, I'm waiting for this. I mean, it's like Jacob says, <laughs> it's happening just like I'm planned. Tell me your birthright. And look at his first response. What good is it to me anyway? I'm going to die. I mean, he didn't die for a long, 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 long time. It's hard for me to believe, and even if there was famine in the land with the wealth that they had, there was probably something else he could have eaten. But he was famished. He says, What good is it to me? I'm going to die anyway. And again, Jacob's prepared. You know what? We might say something in passing and then we just blow it off and and come back and say, well, you said, well, obviously I didn't really mean that. He makes sure that's not, there's not room for that here. He says, I'm going to die anyway. What good is it to me? And then he says, swear to me. Make an oath. Make a vow. Make a verbal contract. First, you need to swear to me a binding commitment for his birthright, for a bowl of soup. And just like that, okay, great, I'm starving, give me the soup. We all know how long that soup satisfied his appetite. I mean, you can paint a pretty gross picture of We all know how long that soup stayed in his body and then it disappeared. It's gone. And notice his reaction. He ate, he drank, got up, and went on his way. Total disdain for his birthright. Total disdain. The scripture there says he despised his birthright. He gave it up. Why? Well, he, he, satisfaction of his flesh, momentary pleasure, a quick, not very well thought out decision. For whatever reason, he gave in to some desire, gave away his birthright. Now, Jacob knew about the birthright of his family. This family had more than just your ordinary birthright. He knew that the birthright was really valuable, and he wanted it. The birthright at that time, the son, the firstborn son, received a double portion of all the material goods. If dad was a millionaire, had 10,000 sheep, few goats, whatever it was, he was going to get a double portion of the wealth of the material goods. And he also became the head of the family. And he also became the spiritual head of the family, the spiritual leader. And this would all take place when their father passed away, when the father died. And in this family, maybe remember, but I'm going to read again from Genesis chapter 12. In this family, the birthright determined who would inherit the very covenant that God himself gave to Abraham. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you will be a blessing And I will bless all those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And all of the families of the earth will be blessed. And as you go on from chapter 12, you see it worded more differently, uh, more details given. But this was part of the birthright of God's chosen people. And he ate, drank, got up, and left. It was enough. How could he do such a thing? Does anybody find themselves asking that question? How could he do such a thing? How stupid is this? How foolish is this? Double portion of material goods. Leadership of the family, the spiritual leader. And from your descendants is ultimately going to come the Messiah, the Savior of the world. How much of that he understood, who knows. How could he do something so foolish? How could he give away his birthright? He despised it. He held it with disdain, contempt. These are the words there that are translated from the original Hebrew. He scorned his birthright. I believe it's very clear that his character had become corrupted. Spiritual things were not important to this outdoorsman. He was kind of crude, and his choices later on prove it. Chooses two wives from evil, ungodly people. He's just got bad character. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews also made reference to this event that's taking place. And here, the writer of Hebrews is talking about a root of bitterness getting in and being ungodly people, and who does he pull in as an example that you shouldn't be like this guy? He says, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. We he found no place for repentance. Now, I think we need to understand with God, all sins are forgivable. When there's a broken and contrite heart and there's regret, we can repent of the sin. So I don't believe it's a question of God's ability to forgive his sin here. I don't believe that's what it means. But there was nothing. I believe there was nothing. You know, repent. Go and go in a different direction. Change and go in a different direction. I believe we're saying here, you know what? You can't undo what you did. It took place. It happened. And there's consequences for it. No matter how bad you feel, yes, you're forgiven, but we can't go back and undo what was done. And then it says, though he sought diligently with tears. His birthright wasn't going to be restored just because he wished it to be. He wanted it to be couldn't be returned because he had despised it. I want to be (laughs) careful how I say this, but many Christians do the same thing with their birthright. Many Christians act and live as if they despise their birthright for the same kind of reasons. Temporary popularity with a particular group of people. We make a choice of decision. We make spontaneous decisions and do something that's really stupid, foolish, because we just didn't think it through. We gave in to whatever the momentary desire of our flesh were, was. And the desires of our flesh are always going to be present to lead us to do the wrong thing. And as Christians, we have an amazing birthright as born again Christians, as children of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We have an amazing, amazing birthright. In Ephesians 1, I'm not going to read it all, but you maybe want to write down Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. I just went through and what you'll see up there are just some of the promises, some of the things that we have as a birthright of children of, as children of God. And the list could go on and on and on. The eternal inheritance that we have. It just goes on and on. But in Ephesians, these are just some of the things, seven or eight things that I, chosen by God. You and I, if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it's because he chose us. He gave us the grace to accept and receive the gift of salvation. It's by grace. We did not deserve our birthright any more than Esau or Jacob deserved theirs. Yet while we were still sinners... God wooed us, chose us, saved us. We didn't deserve it. By grace, we're saved, chosen by God, adopted into his family. Children of God, you are a child, the creator of the universe. Join heirs with his son, Jesus. We are seen as holy and blameless in his sight. Total acceptance from God as his children. We've been redeemed from slavery to sin. The slavery of sin, the controlling power of sin in our lives, we have been redeemed from that. We've been set free from that as our birthright. Total forgiveness of all sin. The riches of God's grace. It talks about the riches of his grace has been given to us. I mean, this is just amazing stuff when you think about it. We don't deserve any of it. And it's all ours because of Christ and being adopted into his family. Yes. It goes on in the Ephesians and says, to us has been revealed the will of God. The mysteries are being revealed to us. It talks about our internal, eternal, eternal inheritance as joint heirs with Christ part of our birthright the riches of his grace sealed with him sealed in him with the holy spirit part of our birthright and leaving ephesians you could go on in many different directions i just think of some of the things that are part of our birthright like peace, hope, joy. They're all our birthright. They're all our rights as children of God. And yet when you look at that list, it's easy to imagine the things that we can do that cost us those things that are ours because of our birthright. First and foremost, no one should ever reject the offer of becoming a child of God. All those things that I've just mentioned only only are the birthrights to those that have been born again. Born again simply meaning accepted Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, his death, his burial, his resurrection, paying the price for our sins, surrendering our lives to him, making him Lord of our life and the birthright's ours. Doesn't matter what you did. Doesn't matter what your past looked like. It doesn't make a bit of difference. This is now yours. And once we've accepted it, we should do everything we can to not despise it. Not despise it. Now, I know I personally don't think, first thought, when I do something that I know costs me something, that I'm despising my birthright, that I'm despising my faith in God. But I know as I do think that way, it will change the way we live, the way we act. We need to realize Esau just didn't wake up one day decided the birthright's no big deal. I believe he was 70 years old approximately and he, his character had been being developed with all of its flaws for a long time. Little choices along the way. And with each choice, with each bad choice, by the time he got to this place, he said, the birthright doesn't mean anything to me. Basically saying, I don't have a bit of interest in all this spiritual stuff. Same thing happens in our lives. That's why we need to always be careful. That's why we need fellowship with like-minded believers to hold us accountable, to keep us on track. People who can speak into our lives. There's a reason that the Bible tells us not to abandon the gathering of the brothers and sisters in Christ, the fellowship. I believe it's one of the great dangers of what's been going on in this country with this whole COVID thing. We are, we are no longer fellowshipping like we need to be. And I know and understand why. I get it. But I think it's something we need to be aware of, that fellowship, gathering together corporately, is an important part of our spiritual walk, our spiritual life. We need it. We need it. Because these little decisions, one after the other, they start to pile up. And not that I believe you can lose your salvation, but I do believe our intimacy with the Lord can be greatly, greatly damaged. For that place that I've lost my joy. I'm not walking in peace. My faith has been weakened. The fears of the world are starting to overwhelm me. We forget. We need to be reminded who we are in Christ and that we have a large family, the corporate family, the body of Christ, to help one another, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another. Let's close in prayer. The worship team, we have a closing song, I believe. They would come forward. Father, I thank you and praise you for your amazing grace that you extend towards us. God, the grace you extended towards us to respond to the gift of salvation through Jesus, your Son. Father, and I pray, God, if there be people here or watching online that have never accepted that gift, right now, Father, I pray you would have your Holy Spirit just woo them, open their heart and their mind to the truth of who Jesus is and what He's provided for us. That we may understand and recognize that we become children of God with all the benefits. All the promises. Lord, I thank you that there is no sin that you cannot forgive, that the blood of Jesus didn't cover. Pray, Father, that the enemy could not twist truths in the minds of your people to bring shame or guilt or condemnation. But, Father, that we might walk out some of the things that are part of our birthright, the promises, that are given for us. I pray, Father, we would, you would give us the grace to share these things with others that we come across in our daily walks that are hurting, that don't know these things, don't understand these things. I pray, God, that you would be working and preparing hearts for the message of your amazing grace, your amazing love that we might share with others. Just stand with me if you're able and let's conclude with this worship song.